0: From 23DB Production Studios in the Garden State, New Jersey, this is The Art of Music Tech with your hosts, Fayla and Dennis. Let's go, let's go, let's go, and welcome to The Art of Music Tech podcast. I'm your host, Fayla. and over there is Dennis. Hi, everybody. All right. Uh, we're on the road on this podcast. We're in Harlem at the National Jazz Museum in Harlem with our guest today um forget your your title for for the national Uh,
1: official title is director of education and programming all right please welcome ryan maloney all right thank you very much thanks for having me you guys
0: all right thank you for coming on uh well you
1: made it easy i mean you're here where i work so (laughs) and you locked me in this room so yeah, we are. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. It works out. Yeah. Um, we're we're also gonna do the um the ongoing series uh with Christian McBride, Series XM uh show he's doing. Uh was it conversation? Uh, yeah, Low it's down. called the lowdown, was, the, lowdown the lowdown
1: conversations with Christian. Yeah, we're gonna hit that later tonight. So, exactly,
0: yeah. and tonight's guest is uh, Regina Carter, fantastic violinist. Yeah. Um, and hear her story. Uh, that'll be on XM, uh, Sirius XM Radio. Um, but we're here to talk to Ryan.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's do it. Here, yeah. right. Let's go, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yes, we,
0: we know Ryan um, is a friend and client. Wow, that's great. <laughs> um, we did the audio setup for the Jazz Museum uh, last year. We put in a small system, made sure you could do all the things that you wanted to do. Yeah. Record, do a little video, some live streaming. Uh, we set all that up for you guys. Yeah, it's been amazing. All right. Yeah, yeah. I love watching it on YouTube and yeah, yeah, just just can't wait to see that grow more and more. For sure. Um, And you guys got a, a bunch of series going, right?
1: Like- yeah, I mean, we do so many different programs here. Uh, you know over eighty public programs a year, so there's always something new live music conversations, panel discussions on on music past, present, and future. so there's always something going on at the museum for sure
0: oh yes, oh yeah, um they have a Duke Ellington piano in here, yeah. so they're serious about all things jazz and yeah. uh, archiving mm-hmm. music and uh mm-hmm. restoration and yeah wow yeah let, let's get into that with the restoration
1: um and <laughs> you, tell us uh yeah. yeah you have a background in who that you are as how well. you started yeah you know i can, like most jazz people we come at it from i don't know all different all different uh experiences and backgrounds there's no limitations to you know what brings jazz to to what brings people to jazz and and i'm a i guess a perfect example of that because i grew up in a town of international falls minnesota shout out to minnesota um Mm -hmm. town of seven thousand people in the middle of nowhere with basically zero live music scene and but it's funny how you know music and art kind of reaches people wherever they are and as a young man i started to be really excited about some of the music i was listening to on On CDs, Charles Mingus, and Duke Ellington, Miles Davis, Dave Brubeck. And that really set me on my path, and I I pursued jazz in in college as an undergrad. I taught for a few years in the public school system and really, really enjoyed that. Um, But also through that process saw the holes in in the way we share uh, information about jazz with young people. And the fact that for the most part we don't. You know, unless you happen to have a jazz band or something in school, you don't learn anything about it. And how could we not educate young people on one of the most significant developments in, in American culture? How can we just leave that out? You yeah. know, it's not fair. Whether you play an instrument or not, you should yeah. still be learning about that in, in the school system. And we don't, unfortunately. So that always kind of bothered me. Um, so when I decided to go, I went back to graduate school at Rutgers University and did a master's degree at the at the campus in newark in jazz history and research and fortunately uh for me they have the world's largest jazz archive at the institute of jazz studies at rutgers newark Mm. so through that process of going back to school and starting doing some work study and then eventually getting hired part-time at the institute of jazz studies i got really kind of deep into not only the history but you know, the importance of archives and, and and the fragility of recorded music over the last hundred years, how how it's really, you know, it's literally crumbling on our shelves as we kind of sit here, you know, it uh, yes. doesn't matter what format you have, oddly enough records are sometimes the most stable format, but even <laughs> those are, are fading in a way. Um, so I really got interested in all of that and, and um, spent a lot of time working on, uh, on archiving projects and research projects and contributing to different films and books and things, and, and, but also kept my connection with uh, education and started working, uh, again, back to Christian McBride, started working as kind of an assistant for him for a few years, maybe about a year, uh, as I was finishing grad school and, and actually, and it was at that exact same time that Christian McBride's wife Melissa Walker was starting an organization called Jazz House Kids. Jazz House. What so year I, was that? That was man 2004 2005 I bet. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I kind of got in on the ground floor of Jazz House Kids and Melissa and I, you know, slugged away at it for years in her basement, you know, <laughs> trying to trying to fill the gap, the arts gap in public schools for the most part at that time. There was no summer camp. Now there's a summer camp. There's evening classes. You know, every night of the week. Back then, we were just trying to get jazz in, in little in young people's ears. Like really? that was our goal, wow. and we did that in any way we could. You know, beg for money and and just tried to build programs that would reach. And we were doing most of our work in the Newark public schools at the time. Uh, so did that for about eight years. Um, and uh, you know, it was it was time for me to to make the next move, and that's where when I came over here to the to the National Jazz Museum in Harlem. So I've always kind of straddled education and, and history. and and to a certain extent, uh, you know, recording technology and the history of recording technology. I'm not an engineer by any stretch, but I'm very interested in in the process and how important it's been. In cataloging kind of the the whole history of jazz music for the most part, we have obviously only a fraction of the jazz that's ever been played has been recorded. But we happen, the the development of recording technology and the development of jazz kind of uh, parallel each other. So we have like bits and pieces of just about the entire evolution of jazz music, you know, that we can listen to. And I find that really fascinating. All right and um let me see i've done a bunch of other little you know projects when i was in grad school um i was really interested in the music of of charles mingus which dennis i yes. know i know he's your man as well yes. and um and favorites. that stuff just blew my mind and on on every level uh politically and culturally and musically and and just the way he played the bass and it ended up leading me to a period of his career where he was working alongside a guy named Teo masero who was a at the time was a composer and a, and a saxophone player he went on to become most famous as a as a recording engineer for Columbia records for many many years and recorded you know yeah. with everybody Every, oh, literally yeah. he was the guy in the studio for miles davis duke ellington thelonious monk dave brubeck charles mingus everything from mid-50s uh for the next about 15 or 20 years he was the man Oh, yeah. He's mm-hmm. in Miles' book. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, did he still have gear around by the time or, or was he just kind of out?
1: Yeah, he had some stuff. It's interesting. You know, he's 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 loved and hated for his. Uh, he was one of the first guys that was really doing tape splicing, you know, and, and making taking these. Marathon recording sessions that Miles was doing and kind of cutting them up into making an album out of them um, With like in a silent way and and uh, bitches brew and some of these big sprawling albums Like it was it was Tio and Miles that were working cutting those physically cutting the tapes and taping them together and like building these albums out of the physical tape running things backwards He was building he was commissioning the engineers at Columbia to, to build all these machines that would put these different effects, echo effects and things. So He was a real pioneer in that, in that sense. And he had a few things still around. He lived, you know, he had an apartment in New York, but, but I, was, I was working as his archivist out on Long Island, out in the Hamptons. And he had an old basement full of, man, thousands and thousands of tapes, studio tapes. And some of it was stuff from wow. Columbia, it- and some of it was like stuff he had done after he left Columbia but it was not organized at all. And you'd walk in and you're like, man, I'm literally surrounded by master tapes or like du- duplicates of masters that from all the greatest albums that have ever, ever been recorded been in jazz, you know? And 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 not knowing maybe some of this stuff has never been released. This might be alternate takes. This might be, mm-hmm. you know, and it had been so long, it had been 40, 50 years, and Teo didn't remember yeah. everything that was there. Yeah. <laughs> But he had a few machines kind of stashed away, and what he one of the stories that he told is he, he, uh, he whenever he would commission a new machine for the, the mastering studio at Columbia Records, he would always get two, and then he could bring one to his apartment in Manhattan, <laughs> because this guy was a workaholic. He worked like 20 hours a day, so if he finished wow. at the studio, he would bring the tape with him home, and he, he had his continue. own, yeah, just keep, keep working and keep doing it, because it was all experimenting. It was just like, <laughs> You know, nobody taught him what to do or how to do it. He was inventing. He was making it up as he went along, <laughs> you know. Yes. So he had he had some things. He had some old microphones like this big like what do you call like the big long tube microphone? What do you call that one? Oh, it was man. like this long a shotgun. Is that, is that a thing? Yeah, and there's a, shot, a shotgun
0: mic, but wow, I didn't I didn't know that they had a tube ver- wow. Well this one, yeah, all I know
1: <laughs> it was like it was like a tube and it was maybe like three feet long.
0: Yeah. And
1: and I asked him about it once. He's like, Oh yeah, I used to record Miles' live shows with those. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. It was a shotgun yeah. mic. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I was thinking tube.
1: Oh like um, tube yeah. amp. You were thinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pardon my uh, <laughs> my ignorance on some of this terminology. Oh but,
0: no, yeah, I got you though. Yeah. Uh, it was There's in the no
1: shape way. of a tube. a tube. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was in this beautiful box yeah. like with like velour inside mm. of it. And I opened it up, and I was like, man, what is this? He's like, I would bring these to, to live things. I never knew if we would ever issue anything, but he said I could take two of these mics and put them at the back of the room and point them right at the stage, and I could get a beautiful stereo recording yeah. just with these two big mics in the back of the room. And... and um. So he had a few odds and ends, definitely <laughs> laying around machines that and a lot of that has uh, a lot of it unfortunately, he passed away a number of years ago, a lot of it's still at his house. Um, but a lot of it has also transferred down to the Library of Congress in d c oh, mm-hmm. so and some of it some of it is at the Institute of Jazz Studies and some of it is at the New York Public Library as well, the papers and things, not the technology stuff. but yeah, a really fascinating figure, you know, um, was a part of so many you know monumental recording what happened to all the tapes a lot of them are at the library of congress i'm not sure Did you know they, uh, at convert what, them to digital or i'm not sure what, the, mm. what at what point they are in the process um you know a lot of times they they say yes to those collections and they uh, they will just you know sit on them until until they get to them. In some cases, years and years and years go by wow. oh. before they they figure out a time and the resources to actually tackle them. And they're constantly shuffling their priorities. But
0: oh yeah, 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 definitely. Um, you got into um, restoration as well of of, um, of records all, of, of records, or but didn't T.O. have a um, a flood in his long island house too he,
1: he definitely like, had a flood uh <laughs> so here is, is a little uh request from a, a hack archivist uh please don't keep your things in your basement uh-huh i know that that <laughs> that space is tempting because you don't use it for anything it's else so there's room but don't put it don't put in your basement don't put your recordings don't put your sheet music don't put your technology in your basement it will flood (laughs) the moisture content is constantly going up and down it will mildew things will fall apart it will be a disaster so yes you had a huge flood one year and almost the whole basement filled with water uh and that was definitely an emergency situation uh and man, we were trying everything, you know, you can get these big chest freezers and start to freeze some of the music so they dry out in the freezer and you're trying to pull these pieces of, of paper apart one by one and save, because he was, you know, he was known as a, as a recording engineer, but the thing that he self-identified as is a composer and he was a Juilliard trained saxophone player uh, and composer. He got his, his undergrad and master's degree at Juilliard as a composer. So he spent almost every day of his life writing music, Mm -hmm. you know, in addition to to the his profession as an engineer. He was writing. He was composing music. So he had all those tapes, but he had all kinds of sheet music that he had written for all kinds of things. He did some of the arrangements on the Monk Big Band album and Mm -hmm. and uh, the Mingus album. uh, What is it? Let all my children hear music. Is that the is that the album? I can't remember the name of it. But it's another Mingus big band, kind of large ensemble album. And Teal was writing arrangements for that as well. So even in the midst of all of his engineering work, he's writing and composing and doing all this stuff.
0: Heavy background.
1: Heavy music background. And that's one of the things that I think set him apart from a lot of the other engineers at the time. He was certainly becoming familiar with the new technology that was coming out. But as a musical ear, like he, he knew. He knew. Yeah. He knew. You know, he was really well trained. And that's why, I mean... You guys both have music backgrounds as well And I think that serves you very very well Oh yeah You know uh, uh, With your ability to kind of know what to listen for Know how to hear uh, Ask musicians intelligent questions You know And, and not be out of the loop um, But yeah T.O. was all over all that stuff and, and that flood certainly set a lot of things back And the stuff was lost Definitely uh, But there's no way of knowing exactly how much yeah. Was lost
0: Ah. Uh. <laughs> Oh, man. So had you been working in restoration before that happened or did that spur you on to get more familiar with it?
1: You know, I, I referred to myself as a, as a hack archivist. Oh, I was okay. trained kind of on the job at the Institute of Jazz Studies and I had a mentor. Um, Annie Keebler was his name, her name, and she was absolutely unbelievable and and she got her initial training at um she worked down at the smithsonian and there's a couple other staff archivists there as well uh vincent pelote and and um and tad hershorn and and so i was all ready to do the like the leg work the heavy lifting stuff i didn't necessarily have the expertise but if i could find out how to do something you know like restoration wise or, or if something was falling apart and they needed help like i knew who to ask and then i could go and And kind of piece it together and and help because um, you know from that standpoint you know those tapes uh, are really fragile and every year that goes by they're they're you know (laughs) dry so we were baking tapes you know we were dehydrating tapes we were doing transfers we were trying to save everything because the mildew was in that particular situation the mildew was actively growing like by the day so we were trying to save as much as we could. But, of course, money is always an issue as well. Like, you can't come in and hire 20 people to come and, like, wipe everything down. And, and you know, but these tapes, man, we did as much as we could because once he started looking at them, he, he was like, oh, man, I know what this one is. Like, we really need to do this one first. And we get it in the dehydrator. And then we try to do the transfer. And, you know, he bought brought in some some other people to help and got in, you uh, you know some really advanced equipment to try to do some of the transfers but in some cases you know those tapes those old real real to real tapes like when you're doing the transfer th- the magnetic tape is literally crumbling off the plastic backing as hey, it's, it's running great. through the machine like you watch About it one you got one <laughs> shot and it's literally just turning to dust as it's coming through the head of the tape player oh. So you just cross (laughs) your fingers that everything is, like, going to work. Uh, Yeah. And that everything is, like... It's a surgery. I'm telling you, and the people who do it now, I've never... I've been the person who... And it's kind of the, the story of my whole career, but I've been the one... Who's kind of assembled the right people in the right places to do the the job as well as as it can be done in whatever situation it is. Kind of from a more producer's end. Because I didn't necessarily have the expertise, but I knew what needed to happen and how to get the right people there to do it. And and so, yeah, we spent weeks doing transfers, wiping things down, you know... uh, don't keep things in your basement.
0: Don't, yeah, key, key thing, mm-hmm. key, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, major key on that on the audio side. Yeah, because uh, I've had that happen too, and I, I didn't have nearly the amount of. <laughs> Of gear that he had, yeah. or the tapes, and yeah, yeah it, was, it was a bad time. Yep. I think I did have a few audio things, yeah. You know, well, and
1: the moisture hits everything. Ah. It doesn't matter what you have. That humidity in a basement is going to wreck whatever's down there. Exactly. You know? <laughs> There's exactly. a reason people don't, you know, shouldn't be building things in their basement. It's, yeah. it's like, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's going to get rusted. It's yeah. just, yeah, just electrical everything. Yeah. Oh wow! All right, uh, I think that that's great for the first half
1: cool this
0: interview uh we'll in the next half we'll talk a little bit more about what we did at the museum and uh more about ryan thank right. you so much for yeah, this first course. half yeah again thank you everybody for tuning in uh you can uh, find us on itunes um spotify iheartradio Um, Podbean YouTube Podbean YouTube, exactly Uh, Thank you for your support Um, Please make comments on iTunes It gets us out there more The Art and Music Tech Podcast Uh, Thank you I'm Fela I'm Dennis And uh, let's go Let's go go. For more information of booking 23DB Productions Visit their website At 23DBProductions.com Like and follow 23DB Productions at Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter for the latest work.